Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Elizabeth Flock's debut, The Heart is a Shifting Sea, has earned considerable praise. In her enveloping work of narrative nonfiction, Flock, a reporter for PBS NewsHour, offers a penetrating look into three contemporary Mumbai marriages that reveals the surprising diversity and complexity of marital life in the largest metropolis of that evolving nation. Peggy Ornstein writes, It's intricately reported, novelistic portraits of marriage will resonate regardless of where you live. This book will keep you up reading deep into the night. It will make you ignore your loved ones, shirk your responsibilities. It is that good. Elizabeth Flock began her career at Forbes India Magazine, where she spent two years as a features and investigative reporter in Mumbai. More recently, she has worked at U.S. News and World Report and the Washington Post, reporting on social issues. Her work has also been published in the New York Times, the Atlantic, the Hindustan Times, the Hindu, among others. She lives in Washington, D.C., where she works as a reporter for PBS NewsHour. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Elizabeth Flock. Hi, guys. Um, I'm just going to start by reading something very short from the beginning, uh, just to give you a sense of what's in the book. Um, this book follows three couples, and this beginning uh, few pages is about the couple Maya and Veer. In Mumbai, people say the monsoons make everyone fall in love. But this year, the rains are late, and the June nights are hot. So are tempers. Maya and Veer fight in the early mornings inside the bedroom of their 11th floor apartment in a colony of concrete apartment buildings in a far north suburb of the city. One morning they fight so loudly it agitates four-year-old Janu, who is playing with his toys in his bedroom down the hall. He pushes the door open to their room to see his father, in dress pants and no shirt, shout and point a finger at Maya, who is seated on their low bed. Do not raise your voice with my mother, Janu says in his grown-up way of speaking. I do not like that. Say you're sorry. My superhero, thinks Maya. To her, Janu looks every bit the part, even though he is so little, with his dimpled chin and gelled hair combed off to one side, a single lock falling onto his forehead. Maya once thought Veer also looked like a superhero, with his glossy hair, open face, and irresistible smile. She didn't even mind his six toes or lazy eye, which he said were signs of extra specialness and good fortune. I'm sorry, says Veer, not looking at Maya, as he gathers Janu up in his arms. In the days that follow, Veer and Maya hold their tempers in check. On cooler days, it is easier. And on a Sunday morning, not long after, when several fragile clouds arrive to mercifully block out the sun, Veer surprises his wife and tells her he won't go to work that Sunday. Ordinarily, Veer spends Sundays as he does every day, working long hours at the family aluminum foil business. After he leaves, Maya and Janu often board the local train to go to Crossword, a chain bookstore Maya loves for its fiction and its coffee shop, and Janu for its toys. 
The shopkeepers let Janu play on the floor for hours while Maya sits hunched over a book, often by Rumi or Haruki Murakami. They will do anything for the attractive mother with the big, coal-rimmed eyes and petite, but curvy figure. Madam, they whispered to each other, looks just like a movie star. When Janu gets bored of playing, Maya takes him on her lap and tells him fantastical stories. Let's go to crossword, Mayu, Veer says now, using his pet name for her, which he seldom does these days. I'll come along this time. If you are a stupid woman, Maya thinks, you'd say, well, at least he's around Baba. But she knows he only wants to come for Janu. Okay, she says, and gathers up her purse and Janu's backpack and checks that she has both her phones. A text from Subal pops up on her screen. She reads it and then quickly puts her phone away. At the sight of Subal's name, her mind often wanders to that first day they spent at Aksa. Aksa Beach is just 30 minutes away by auto rickshaw, but it feels a world apart from the city's pollution and chaos and noise. It is nothing like her frenetic suburb, once a quiet village and now one of the city's most congested areas. But most of Mumbai's suburbs are like this, officially a part of the city and just as noisy and crowded as the downtown. Within minutes along the drive to Aksa, by contrast, the roads become slow and winding. Along the route are small, quiet rivers where local people fish and young boys swim. And at the end of the road stands a grove of trees which opens up onto a magical seaside hotel. Whitewashed and sprawling and encompassed by green, the hotel is called the resort. The resort is their place. It is where Subal tried to steal a kiss in December when there was a mild breeze. They ate from the breakfast buffet and sat talking for more than an hour beside the pool. The water was a clear, still blue, and the palm tree fronds hung over them. Maya found herself drawing lines on his palms. They both wanted something, but did nothing. Then she and Subal had gone back again in May. May was the Big Bang, or so they called it. The day when the energy and tension between them led to a kind of explosion. Everything out in the open, at last. Come on, Mayu, Veer says, and Maya refocuses on her husband, who is holding open the front door. He stands next to a colorful lettered sign that reads, Suktara, which means Happy Star. It is the name Maya gave their home when they moved in. Um, well, I started this book, which is nonfiction, nearly a decade ago when I moved to Mumbai after college uh, for a combination of reasons, being restless and homesick and broke, I lived with a number of Indian families, which is how I got interested in writing about marriages, because I think you only really understand what's happening in a marriage when you're inside the home. Uh, when I started this project, it was something very informal. I was basically curious about these people's lives and their marriages and just started asking questions. Um, and it was only much later that I returned armed with a notebook and a recorder and decided I was going to do this bizarre thing of trying to write about marriage the way you would any other story in the newspaper and um, see if that would work out. Um, the book follows three couples. The first is Maya and Veer, who you were just hearing about, who are in their 30s and 40s. Um, they have a love marriage. They got married against all odds, against her parents' wishes. They ran away to be together. 
Um, but as they as they grow and as they are married, uh, Maya is struggling to come to terms with the fact that she's not able to get the companionship that she thought she would get from Veer. And it's her desire for independence really is at the heart of that story uh, and her struggles with infidelity. Uh, the second couple is Ashok and Parvati, which are a very young couple, a student and a journalist, wannabe novelist, um, who have this sort of hybrid, half-love, half-arranged marriage, which is increasingly common in India, where sort of your parents set out the parameters for you uh, and say, you can pick whoever you want, but it has to be within these parameters. Um, and so Parvati actually did not want to marry Ashok at all. She wanted to marry a Catholic boy, but her parents wouldn't allow it. Interfaith marriages are still stigmatized and, and very difficult to carry off. They wanted her to marry another Hindu Tamil Brahmin, a Hindu um, from the South and from the highest caste. And so she marries Ashok, um, but is struggling to come to terms with that this is who she married and has to love. Um, and the third couple is Shazad and Sabina, which is a conservative Muslim couple that's older and that cannot have children. Uh, and they, in their community, they are not able to adopt, even if you're not able to have children. Uh, and I think often when we hear about infertility stories, we hear about a woman who's very upset that she cannot have children. But in this case, uh, Shazad is really the one who struggles to make sense of that and see that even as Islam is liberalizing around him, it's a bit too late for them. So a lot of people, uh, especially as I've gone around the country, have asked, like, why these particular three couples? In a billion people, why these three? Um, and I think at the time, I didn't know, and it's taken me nearly this decade to figure out why it was these three couples that I couldn't get out of my head. Um, and I think a lot of it is that they were romantics. So there's a long tradition in India of obsessive, over-the-top displays of affection, obsessive love, romantic, showy love. Um, at one point in the book, Maya gives her lover a 13-tier cake that costs her hundreds of dollars and weighs dozens of pounds. Um, and, I mean, think about doing that for someone that you're only, like, coolly dating and trying to impress. Um, so... I think I was young and really attracted to that melodrama and attracted to that romance and thought I, there was something I could learn from it. Um, and I also followed them, I think, because they were rule breakers. India is at a time of tremendous change. Um, the Indian historian Ramachandra Guha has said that often when change happens in other countries, it's been staggered. But India is sort of going through all of this change at the same time, uh, economic, social, cultural, political. And that tremendous change is placing pressure uh, on the Indian marriage. And I think I saw people sort of testing the boundaries as the change was happening. Um, you know, as that social and cultural change happens, the public images that people see is really different from, say, what their mother's generation saw. And so I saw Parvati push to have a love marriage, uh, Maya push for more companionship from Veer than her mother ever got from her father, saying just financial support is not okay. Um, I saw women in particular testing the boundaries, um, choosing to have premarital sex, choosing to watch pornography, choosing to be unfaithful. And of course, that's not every Indian woman, but that's something that's happening much more. Um, and in some cases, there can be really, really bad consequences for testing those boundaries. Um, 
as I wrote this book, I think it also really became a book about women for those reasons. Um, as we look at the Me Too movement now playing out around us, I keep thinking about how India really experienced its Me Too movement moment five or six years ago. Um, I don't know if you remember, but during the 2012, there was a, a, a gang rape in India that brought thousands of Indian women to the streets to say sexual violence is not okay and we need to have a conversation around this. Um, and obviously it plays out differently there than it does here. Um, there's conversation both about public spaces and say sexual harassment on train platforms, but also private spaces and abuse by family members. Um, there was one Indian study commissioned by the government that said one in two children has been sexually abused and often inside the home. Um, and so there are differences, but there's also a tremendous amount of women who are sort of standing up, particularly in urban centers, but also in rural areas, um, and sort of demanding this change. And so I think that's infused through this book as well, is um, women from conservative Muslim communities like Sabina's, who, you know, her mother never left her house and Sabina in the over the course of the time that I've known her has started to go outside and she's wearing her burqa still but she's demanding to go to the market um, or women from conservative Hindu families like Ashok and Parvati who would never have thought of marrying outside of religion and caste and of course that's happening more and more um, this is also a book about middle-class morality um, that's a notion I've thought about a lot as I've written this book um, a friend of mine once said, told me that, you know, the middle class doesn't have the moral freedom of the very rich or the very poor because the very rich can sort of get away with whatever they want to and the very poor have other concerns. Um, but the middle class sort of has gotten to a certain place in life and wants to protect that. And there's this idea in the middle class of like people will talk and that's something that I heard so often when I was interviewing these couples was, I would love to do this but people will talk. Like I would like to test these boundaries um, but people will talk, my in-laws will talk, this community will talk, the neighbors will talk, what will they think? Um, and so as the sort of social and cultural change is playing out, people make these decisions but then often get beaten back for doing so. Uh, for a long time I didn't do this book because I'm not Indian and I'm not married. So I thought the idea of doing that was, seemed ludicrous to write a book about, buy my book about Indian marriages. Um, but I think as I thought about it for longer um, and as like sort of the years passed, I realized that the books that I wanted to read about India that at least maybe were written by outsiders didn't really exist. Coming back from India in 2010, I remember very distinctly, distinctly trying to keep up on Indian news here and being really frustrated at how India was covered here, which is so often, of course, like exoticized or um, something salacious. So we'll hear about gang rapes and then we'll hear about Bollywood or snake charmers. Um, so I guess as a reporter working in both countries, out of that frustration I wanted to write a book about everyday people um, who do have the, you know, over-dramatized love stories but also are dealing with really real concerns um, that we all do. And so really quickly the way I reported this, which was not quick at all but I'll give the quick summary, um, was you know, I met them the first time and asked these questions about 
their lives. And then I went back with the tape recorder and the notebook. And uh, this time I decided that I would live with all of them again, some of whom I'd lived with the first time. And I would travel alongside them and eat with them. And I sort of said to them, can I basically be in your lives sort of nonstop around the clock? Um, and they said yes, sort of. And then they sort of said, okay, fine. Um, and so for over the course of several years, I went back and, and did that and basically was a giant pest and hung out and um, was sort of privy to their fights and um, good times and all of those things. And, um, you know, I think being there around the clock was really important. Um, often as reporters, we sort of parachute into stories and think we have it think we know what's going on, think we understand. But the longer I spent with the couples, the more I realized I didn't know about them. And, you know, the day would end and I would feel like I had a handle on what was going on and then they would get into this massive caterwauling fight at night that I didn't see coming, so. Um, and I guess looking back on a final note, I think the personal, there is a personal overlay to this book. Um, I moved to Mumbai after my father's third divorce and I think I wanted some answers about why marriages work or fail in any culture or uh, context. And I don't know that I got necessarily any closer to finding some magical answer to that. Um, and I think in part that's because love is a really slippery thing, sort of like a scientist trying to pin a wriggling butterfly down to a board or something. And marriage is incredibly complicated, but uh, I think maybe I got a little bit closer. So, thank you. If anybody has any questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think sometimes they did say, you, it seems like you're my therapist, but actually there are very few therapists in India. There's sort of a mental health crisis because there are so few therapists to people that need it. Um, and at times I think I felt like a therapist and other times like a third wheel. Um, but, and it was really important to me to interview the couples both together and separately. So a lot of times I would sit down with both of them and conduct an interview, but then I would also interview them separately and hear totally different things, of course. Um, and sometimes, you know, I was struck by how we would be going over the same event and the reality that one person lived in was completely different from the reality of their spouse. And that just made me think a lot about marriages and about how we all perceive you know the events around us in just very different ways so yeah um well actually Ashok and Parvati read the book together uh which I was felt found very nerve-wracking um <laughs> but and Parvati called me and she said you know, you're, at one point in the book, you guys were, we were holding hands, and then you say that we sort of brought our hand up like this, and I don't, I don't think that happened. <laughs> that was like her main concern with the book, and so I was like, okay, phew. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, I mean, there have been different reactions. Um, Shazad read the book, and at first he was a little bit upset, and then he said he talked to his builder landlord friend, and his landlord said, you know, fire in the heart is a good thing. If you feel passion, it's good. And then he now is saying that he loves the book so much, and it's his favorite thing ever. And Ashok is, keeps calling me and being like, who's going to play me in the Bollywood film? I need to know. <laughs> so... There have been a range of reactions, but um, and we did make some small changes for the India book um, because everyone in this book, their names have been changed for the book, uh, and some locations have been left out to preserve their anonymity. Um, and that goes back to sort of this idea of middle-class morality, and people will talk, and I um, think it was really important for them that they had that measure of anonymity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because Maya and Veer had this love marriage sort of against all odds, right? And then at the end of the reporting process, Maya said to me, I think I could have just should have had an arranged marriage. Maybe it would have worked out better. And I think your parents have just as much of a chance as finding someone right for you uh, as you do. And Parvati, who desperately wanted a love marriage um, after she got into this arranged marriage with Ashok, by the end came around and said, I'm going to have, I'm going to force an arranged marriage on my own daughter. Um, and I guess, you know, there's certain things about arranged marriages that I think we can all learn from, particularly about expectations. And I think, you know, and in a love marriage, there's often very high expectations of what you want that person to be and sort of all the boxes you want them to check. And in an arranged marriage, often uh, you just have to meet that person where they're at. You can't really demand that they're going to be something different because this is what you're stuck with. And of course, there are arranged marriages that are really unhappy, that are born out of cruelty. Um, but I think I would just come back to what Sabina said to me, which is... Marriage is a ladu, which is like a heavy sweet that makes you feel sick when you eat it. And she was like, if you eat it, you'll cry. And if you don't, you'll also cry. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is happening a bit more, and um, some of the laws are changing. There was recently a law put on the books that you could divorce in India um, for reasons of incompatibility, um, which previously it was much more difficult to get divorced because you just it didn't work out. Like you had there had to be infidelity or violence. Um, so it is becoming more common, and there's not great statistics on this, but numbers of divorce are going up. But it's still incredibly stigmatized um, in rural areas more, but in even in urban centers, I think Maya would be divorced if it wasn't so stigmatized. I mean, she feels that she would lose her job, perhaps her family, her financial stability. I mean, she runs a preschool, and she feels like people wouldn't want to have a principal of preschool be someone who's divorced. So changing but slowly yeah. yeah yeah 
Yeah, so that was Shazad and Sabina, and they um, are just a more conservative family, and there was the matriarch of the family. Um, you know, I was trying to gain access to live in these houses for at least a month at a time and not leave during the course of that entire month, because I want, just wanted to be able to get a full sense of like an entire month in this people's lives. Um, and Shazad told me, okay, like I did it, went on a charm offensive with the matriarch and like tried to really convince her that this project was something worthwhile and that she would let me in and so she agreed uh, ultimately but Shazad basically said you're not going to convince her twice so if you leave you're not going to be able to get back in. Um, so I did stay there for almost a month straight without leaving um, which at the time I was going absolutely insane but Sabina was like I do this all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah. Mm -hmm. The way we do it in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a little hard because my father is in the audience, but <laughs> I mean, infidelity is <laughs> something that I've thought about a lot, and I wrote about this in a modern love column for the Times as well, and um, sort of watching Maya and Veer and her own struggles with infidelity, it was one of those times where I was sort of like, I wished that I could entirely take my own personal biases and baggage out of this. And I think that's actually a large reason that I kept myself out of the book. It's because at first I wrote myself into it and I felt like um, my own judgments of people and um, their actions and sort of being like, Veer, can you just come home from work for once on time, um, was sort of like seeping its way into the book. Um, I think the expectation thing that I was mentioning about arranged marriages was my number one um, thing that I've come back to. Um, I was talking to Parvati once and she was talking about being married to Ashok and they'd only known each other for like six months and been married that long. And she was like, you know, it, it used to drive me insane that he used to, when we go to a family event, like be so fawning to his relatives and then we'd leave the room and he would talk shit about them like for hours. And she was just like, that disconnect was really, like I hated it. Uh, I was like, how can you be so fake? And she was like, it doesn't bother me anymore. And I was like, well, how did you get over that? And she was like, oh, I just leave the room now when he does that. And I was like, that's so much simpler. Like I think here the tendency would be like, okay, we've got to talk this out like why do you why do you behave this way how can you change I really dislike that you do that and she just took a much simpler approach she was like I just don't I don't engage you know and um, I think that's something that I often see in arranged marriages that I think you can learn from is it doesn't always have to be like this long dramatic conversation to try to figure out like the ways in which you're compatible or not like there are certain ways you're not going to be compatible in any relationship um, and just to like sort of live with that fact Um, like just generally, yeah. The first thing that came to mind when you just asked that was um, that Parvati always cooks traditional Indian meals because that's what Indian women would do, that their mothers would have taught them how to do, and these take like three 
three to five hours of like really long um, intensive work and uh, I one day she was like can you make a meal that you would make at home and I made like this pasta with vegetables that was done in like 13 minutes and she was like wait a second I didn't know this was possible um, I mean I think Americans are perceived as like really brash and individualistic like women in particular going there I mean obviously the US is a much more individualistic culture I think one thing I, I noticed immediately when I went to India is how many people did not use the pronoun I uh, we constantly are like I'm hungry I'm tired I, I went to see my therapist my parents were like this so therefore I feel like that um, and you know India is just a more communal culture and does less of that and so I think that's something that they really pick up on when you're a woman visiting um, you know and I think um, but in general like Western images from the Western media are, have completely s seeped into India and are available everywhere and you know the women in the book watch friends and draw pictures of Jennifer Lawrence and watch porn from the West and like all of that stuff is more easily available so it's not really a surprise Um, mother-in-laws, no. <laughs> uh, in-laws are really difficult in any culture, I think, but in India in particular, uh, <laughs> the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship is particularly fraught. Um, and there's like soap operas about this, there's folk songs about this, there's um, I mean, it's really, you do not want to be a daughter-in-law, but, um, <laughs> so in particular, mother-in-laws are just tough cookies, and there's also, like, sort of this cliche of the Indian mother-in-law feels like they're losing their son. I mean, this also exists in almost any culture, but that, like, really exists in anywhere they're losing their son to the, to the new wife, um, and so I feel like those people were easier to con more hard to convince but in general the couples in this book aside from Shazad and Sabina live in single family homes unlike mostly in India joint family homes are very common where people live with like 10 or 15 people sometimes um, so it was easier for me to get access and um, live inside the home when it was just two people I had to convince as opposed to 15 so anyways yeah yeah what comes after yeah yeah I think a lot of people I mean so when the Me Too movement started here I think a lot of Indian women were asking like what has happened since the 2012 gang rip like has there been real change um, and I think um, the attitude change actually does matter and having think people think about it differently does matter but there's also a lot of hard questions about like are the police doing anything are we t teaching sex education in schools um, which you know is basically illegal in India and so a lot of people are pushing for that um, there's a new program with like for example the Kolkata police is going to teach boys about how to treat women um, better in schools and so things like that are, are really being encouraged but 
you know, there's still a tremendous problem with sexual violence. Um, and I think the biggest critique has been that it hasn't seeped down to lower classes. And so there has been change for the middle class and for the wealthy, but rural women are still dealing with incredible sexual violence, and a lot of that has not seeped down. And I think that's something that we could really take a lesson from as well, as you see, like, yeah, there will be change in Hollywood, but, um, you know, what about everyday people in difficult jobs and um, in all of those arenas, so. <laughs> Thank you, James. <laughs> James is uh, my boss at PBS News there, and we published a story today about sexual assault in firefighters in the Forest Service, so thank you for the shout out. Thank you. All right, well, thank you guys for coming. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.